Good morning and good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for some morning coffee with Larry, and I'm glad that you are here joining with me today. Mmm, still plenty hot. Love that coffee. <laughs> Straight coffee this morning. Needed a little something to cut through some phlegm in my throat. <laughs> Anyway, glad that you are here. Today is Monday, the 11th of July. I don't know where June went. I thought we were still in June. Here we are. We're approaching the middle of July. This is nuts how fast time goes these days for me. I've been working on several projects on a pretty solid basis and, and be glad for them to be done so I can move on to another project. (laughs) Excuse me. Oh, but I hope you are enjoying um, a little bit of a break in the heat. Uh, We had some pretty good rain, and that brought in like a a different weather front. Ushered it in, and so I'm kind of glad for the the break away from the over 100 heat factor. I'm trying to think, what was the weather supposed to be for today? Um, Let's see. We had, oh, <laughs> well, today's Monday, and according to Weatherbug, where we are at, it's supposed to be a high of 90. I will be working inside today, but the rest of the week, the high is only, you know, in the, in the low to mid 80s. So that's bearable. That's definitely better than <laughs> what we've been having. Oh, well, I wanted to share with you today... <coughs> And if you are um, uh, one of my personal Facebook friends, you would have seen this, and I'll repost it over to the Morning Coffee with Larry Facebook page. But what caught my eye was an old photo, and it was uh, of a log cabin with uh, three people in front of it, There was a man who was, let me zoom in here. It looks like he is possibly doing carding of wool. And then uh, there's a, uh, an object for use with, with the the process uh, that I don't recognize. And then there's two ladies One is on a spinning wheel that is a short one that looks like the kind you pump with your foot. And she has uh, uh, a big um, ball on on a stick, I guess you could say, of wool that has been cleaned and carded. And she is spinning and then has a uh, uh, a hexagon-shaped wheel with spokes that she's wrapping it on. And then the other lady is standing in front of one of these great big spinning wheels. I've always been fascinated with them. And the kind that you just turn by hand as opposed to a crank. And 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 she also is spinning. And they do not look like young children. They do look like mature women <clears throat> sitting out in front of their log cabin which seemed to be a pretty good size one. It wasn't a tiny one. It is two-story. Uh, it has a big front porch, but it has a shake or uh, a shingle roof that is uh, made of, I think they called them shakes, uh, but just wooden shingles, planks, whatever, however, whatever the proper term is. And that caught my eye. 
when I was flipping through my feed. And uh, there's a gal by the name uh, who her uh, her page is Appalachia's Homestead with Patera. She's a YouTuber and and she had this posted. And it looks like that she received the information I want to read to you. Uh, it was uh, archived, researched and archived in 2016 by Dean Stewart Powells. <coughs> And it's not per se about the photo, although this photo, the reason it gets me is this is probably something similar that uh, my great, great, great grandparents lived in when they came to Illinois. They may have lived in something that size or possibly smaller, most likely smaller, when they lived in Kentucky in the... uh, um, 1840s, 50s, and the early 60s. Um, and then he grew up in Richmond where it was likely in a frame-built house, but then his family moved to the western tip of, Virg- of what's now Virginia, and they, um, um, they likely had uh, a similar cabin structure for them. <clears throat> but the uh, the thing I want to read to you, because that's what caught my attention, is uh, this little article that uh, Patera had gotten from the person who did the research, and it's called Granny Women. And as I read this, I could very easily see this where I live now, but just have to hit rewind about 150 years. So, which would be 1877. No, that would be more than that. (laughs) Anyway, you do the math. (laughs) It says, in the old days, people lived deep in the Appalachian Mountains had to be very self-reliant. Granny women are the ones people went to for healing. Granny women brought with them their own culture and traditions. They knew the way of herbs and home remedies, the healing magic that came from Ireland and Scotland with the early settlers. Granny women were healers and midwives and often the only practitioners of healthcare for the poor living in rural areas. They did not take payments for their healing. As with other settlers, they shared what they had. Gratitude for help and knowledge was often in the form of food, quilts, or other needed items, but it was not expected. The healers of Appalachia know their knowledge and wisdom has been passed down for generations in their family. It goes far back to ancient times, to peasants throughout Ireland and many other parts of the world. It was not easy to get a doctor, and rarely could a doctor reach anyone in time to help them get through an illness. Accidents happened, and doctors were nowhere around in emergencies. But there was always a granny close enough to fetch for help. 
Every village or community in the mountains had at least one granny woman to run to for help and healing. These women knew exactly which plant, herb, root, or bark would heal each malady or injury that came up. Granny women and their midwifery skills were the main help for about half of the births in southern Appalachia. Childbirth was a great concern in a dangerous time in the old days, and it was the granny women who played an integral role in seeing that the babe and the mother survived. When someone was sent to fetch a granny, <clears throat> or fetch granny, the granny woman would grab her bag, get on a mule or a horse, and leave her own family, often for days, to care for the women in labor. She often stayed for a few days after the child was born. One common ritual of a granny woman when attending a birth was to put an axe under the bed of the mother during labor. This was symbolic of cutting the pain. Also, if all the windows were open during labor, that was symbolic opening of the birth canal for easier delivery. Spells and charms were not looked on as odd or strange, and the settlers trusted their granny. The granny also practiced divination, such as reading tea leaves, watching for signs in the clouds, and several other methods, including skying with a bowl of water, uh, or skying with a bowl of water, staring into a bowl of water to see the future, while as in a trance, was another method. Of divination. Some people are born with the gift of healing and in time become aware of this as their knowledge just naturally comes out. The grannies know instinctively which member of her family is the next healer, so encourages that child to learn. You know, when, when my family came to uh, this area of central Illinois. It was during the middle of the Civil War. There, was, there were settlers. This area had been settled to an extent. Uh, there were families that, that came up and originally settled this portion of our township in the 1820s. Um, two names, family names that comes to mind is the Spain family, and the Weatherspoon family. <clears throat> uh, the Spain family, uh, they followed likely, likely followed along an established trail that had gone from Fort Kaskaski on the Mississippi River up to Fort Dearborn in uh, what is now Chicago. <clears throat> the, uh, the trail, as my dad did research on it, uh, was initially blazed by the uh, French when this area was controlled by them. And it stopped at this big spring, which is what, what our township is named after. And the Spain family settled there um, very early on in the uh, 1820s. Goodness, 200 years ago. And they established not just their homestead, but they had, uh, they had a vision. <clears throat> and so they established 
a little general store where they would sell basic dry goods staples that was hard for people to get, <clears throat> buy it in bulk and sell it there. They also established a post office, and it was the first post office in this area based out of the store. They also established the first school. It was a private school in a log cabin uh, near where their store and homestead was. There was also a cemetery that was starting right on the edge of the trail. Now, whether there were people that had been buried there when the Spains came, don't know. But the cemetery, you, you can see uh, what looks like a ditch that goes through the cemetery, a large ditch. That was actually the trail. And then it continued through out what the boundary of the cemetery is and down the hillside of the property, part of the property that I own. And, you know, if somebody died along the way while you were traveling, you buried them where, where you were. And the, the cemetery likely started that way. But, the, uh, but they started that school in the 1820s, and it was known as the Wabash School. Long history with that. That's for another podcast. And the other family was the Weatherspoons, and I'm not sure, I can't recall off the top of my head where they came from, but they came with equipment, and they set up and built a mill on the Little Wabash River. <clears throat> and I, you know, I could take you to the, the exact spot of it, because there's still uh, some uh, cross pieces in the, the bed of the river, uh, that have not been washed away in the 200 years uh, where the mill was. And I remember back in probably around 1980, uh, my mom, dad, and I, we went down there with a garbage bag to put a metal detector in so we could put it underwater. And we found a lot of metal pieces from that mill. But they they would grind grain, and later they established a... Um, the, the equipment for making a sawmill where you had a vertical saw going back and forth like a two-man saw that was run with the water power. So when those people came and started establishing a settlement here, no town, just a settlement, um, there weren't any doctors, but the families knew things that we have forgotten. Uh, the idea of, <clears throat> like with my family, when they left Kentucky uh, to come to Illinois to get away from the fighting of the Civil War, the, um, you know, there weren't any Howard Johnsons or Holiday Inns or Hyatts <laughs> on the way. And there weren't any McDonald's, Wendy's, you know, uh, steak and shakes along the way either. So when they came with all their earthly belongings in a, what we would call a small wagon, and everybody in the family had to walk, that was, that was an interesting experience, I can imagine. Uh, that they would travel 
and uh, have to be 100% self-sufficient. Going to an area where they did not purchase the ground till they got here, they actually rented uh, a small brick house in a, uh, an early town called Paradise, and then they started hunting around for land to buy, and they found it and purchased it uh, in 1863 and established their, you know, homestead. But there weren't any doctors in the area. How did they know what to eat on the way up? They didn't have room to carry a whole bunch of food. You had to know your plants. You had to know what, you know, what to forage for. You had to get your meat by shooting it. You, you weren't sticking around long enough to trap it. And you had to bring along that knowledge that this little article talks about as being the knowledge of the granny women. You know, what were those herbs that people ate on a regular basis that let them stay healthy? What were the different wild plants that we call weeds that have medicinal properties that they used and actually was the basis of modern medicine? Uh, you know, the uh, one of the things that I learned early on was uh, the use of willow bark. You chew on that for a toothache. Why? Because the chemical that we know as aspirin is produced in willow tree bark. You know, they came from, uh, you know, with my family, they came from England and then either Scotland or Ireland. We're not 100% sure. Later parts of my family came from Germany, which was more settled. But if you were not wealthy, you couldn't afford a doctor. You took care of certain things on your own. And a lot of things you just didn't bother a doctor with because you, you knew these ways or someone in your family knew these ways. Reading the part as far as gratitude for help and knowledge was often in the form of food, quilts, or other needed items, but it was not expected. You know, that kind of, you know, bartering or offering of a gift um, was common in the old days when you, when money was hard to come by and you would do that. Now, when there was a doctor in Stewardson, uh, my grandparents ran up a bit of a bill because of health issues that they could not cure on their own. But they didn't have the money. So dad and grandpa actually brought a bunch of sand from the river and uh, made up concrete and, and did some pouring either for a, a barn, foundation for a barn, or, a, uh, uh, or it was like a, you know, like a platform or, or you know, uh, just a slab of concrete. But they did that work as a repayment. You know, people would do what they had. Now, I remember mom and dad talking about a, a lady, a granny, uh, that was in this area uh, back in the mid-1900s, early and mid. And she could stop bleeding 
And if people had uh, some sort of a bleeding issue, a cut or an injury that wouldn't stop, uh, they would uh, they would call upon her and she would come over and rub on it or spit on it or do something and the bleeding would stop. And dad told me the story about when there was, uh, they were dehorning a cow, cutting the horns off, and then you had to use a hot iron to cauterize it. And the um, the bleeding wouldn't stop. And they got a hold of her. And she came over and was able to get the bleeding to immediately stop. I'm not sure if it was her or another person, but I think it may have been her, that if you had a wart, uh, she would go to, you know, come, you know, have you come over to her place or if she, tra- you know, was traveling and saw you, if she knows you had a wart, then she would take a little of her spit and rub that on the the wart and say, now in a few days, that should be gone. And when my dad was a little boy, she came by the farm and saw that, saw that he had a wart and uh, she did that. And then when she saw him like a week or so later, saw that the wart was still there and she said, well, that's funny that that didn't take and she did it again. And a few days later, my dad happened to look down and notice on his finger and the wart was gone. Now, my kids on their other side of the family, their grandfather, uh, he had that ability where he could uh, get rid of warts in, in a similar fashion. There were all different kinds of things that were needed that people did either inside their family or close to their family. You know, um, doctors were typically not bothered uh, for baby delivery. It was only when more and more doctors came into the area that you would go fetch a doctor to help with the delivery. But most of the time, that was not the case. And yes, it was hard, uh, especially if there were complications. Um, In part of my extended family, uh, there was uh, uh, my grandpa's great uncle, and he was married three times. And I believe his first two wives, at least one of them, but I think both of them, died in childbirth. And then his, his third wife survived him. But that was a dangerous time uh, for women. And the, uh, the granny women would would help out with uh, midwife skills. The thing is I as I th- enjoyed reading this little article uh, is how many skills have we just forgotten? How many skills how, how much knowledge have we abandoned as families and as a culture? That, you know, because we have modern conveniences, modern medicine, we like the idea of treating ourselves medically. We like that. You know, why do I say that? All you have to do is go to any store. Go to Walmart, go to Dollar General, 
go to a grocery store, you don't go to a pharmacy. You go to any of those stores and you will find an entire aisle filled with medicinal type things. Some of the things are vitamins. Some are other kinds of concoctions that include multiple vitamins for health. Then you have all different medicines that used to be prescription only that are now over the counter. And if you go into your own bathroom and your medicine cabinet, you probably have quite a few. But what would happen if you didn't have access to those? Would you know what things grow naturally that may do many of the same things? That's, that's the thing to kind of think about. I'm going to challenge you to think about. Do you know of what grows in your own weed patch, I'm sorry, garden, <laughs> that if you knew what was there, would you be able to use it? So maybe it's worth looking up some different things, some of those old ways of doing things. You know, right now, um, we're in a, uh, uh, tensions, I'll call it military tensions. Uh, we've got the, uh, the warfare conflict that's taking place in Ukraine, which, uh, you know, you, if you watch the news, you know, it's a source of a lot of distribution issues. If you go over to China, there's more and more saber rattling about them wanting to take back Taiwan. Uh, tensions are building up there. And if you stop and think about it, where do your medications come from? Between India and China, they supply 90%. This is according to various articles they provide 90% of the medication in the United States. So if you go to war with who's providing your medication over their, you know, possible invasion of a, of a, of a you know, the uh, island nation of Taiwan, do you know what things might be able to replace that grows natural? Now, not every medication is going to be able to be reproduced that way. But are there certain things that are? That may be worth looking into. Doing a little studying on. Learning the ways of the granny woman. Learning the ways of the granny woman. Well, that is all I have for you today. I hope this was fun I hope it was helpful. I hope it was a little intriguing. When did your family come to the United States? Was it in more recent years, modern times? Was it like when my family came over in the, the late 1700s? Did your family live always in cities? Where there were you know, the, the modern conveniences of the time? Or did your family live on what used to be the frontier? And how did they do it? Learn a little bit about your family history if you don't know a lot. 
It's worth learning. It's worth exploring. Maybe you'll find that you want to be a granny woman or a grandpa. (laughs) Man, I don't know what you call the other side, but learn some of those skills that have uh, unfortunately been forgotten. Anyway, have a great one. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.